Well, happy Easter, everybody. If you're listening to this podcast, it's either Good Friday, the day that this podcast came out, or maybe it's Easter weekend, or maybe it's a couple days after Easter, whatever it is. Happy Easter, everybody. Today, Eric, what we're going to do on the show is to take a fresh look at the Easter story, but we're not going to start in the traditional place, you know, the gospel. We've been studying Mark this whole year on this podcast. We're going to skip to the end. So people, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can get ready to skip to Mark chapter 15. We'll, next week, we'll, we'll go back to Mark chapter 4, and we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. But we're, we're not going to actually even start with Mark 15. We're not going to start with the Easter story. We're going to get there eventually. We'll get there by the end. We're actually going to start with a verse in the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. This was over 700 years before uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we want to do today is, is to show you that the Easter story you know, the story that so much of us in American culture are very familiar with, not the Easter bunny story, the real Easter story, the Jesus stuff. We want to show you that it was predicted by the prophets hundreds of years before it even happened. And that even though the disciples didn't see it coming, and we're going to see, Eric, that they were expecting a different kind of triumph, you know, with the Messiah, even though the disciples, the followers of Jesus didn't see it coming, it was part of God's brilliant plan all along. And there are many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to the death and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, today we're going to look into Isaiah chapter 64. So again, if you've got your Bibles out, if you're listening to this, Isaiah 64, we're going to be there a lot today. Mark 15, the the actual resurrection story, we're going to be there a lot today as well. But before we get into any of that, Eric, one of my favorite prophecies in the Old Testament. So for people who've never heard this before, an Old Testament prophecy a thousand years before the death and resurrection of Jesus, one of my favorites is Psalm 22. So why don't we just jump in there real quick? Just give give people a little bit of a tease about prophecies fulfilled, people who maybe are, you know, maybe aren't totally sold on the whole resurrection story and God's whole plan. Man, when I first read Psalm 22 years and years ago, and recognize that this was written a thousand years before the events themselves, it blew my mind. So here's some verses from Psalm 22. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now this was actually one of the statements that Jesus himself made from the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was actually quoting Psalm 22 and because I think in part, Eric, I think it's because Jesus wanted to tip us off to this psalm, which is really a prophetic psalm about the, the, the death of Jesus on the cross. And it gets like really specific here. Verse 7, it says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. That's literally what the Roman soldiers said um, when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Verse 14 Again, this is all Psalm 22. This isn't, this isn't in Mark or Matthew. This is in Psalm 22. It sounds like it, it, it should belong in the Gospels because it is so right on to what happened. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, which is what would have happened to Jesus on the cross. My heart is like wax melting within me, which is what happened. Jesus' heart literally burst. We know that because when the spear was thrust into his side, water, blood and water flowed, which means that the the watery sack around the heart would have burst 
And that's how Jesus died on the cross. Verse 16, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. And here's a crazy one. They have pierced my hands and feet. Again, this is Psalm 22, a thousand years before the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And look at how specific. One more, verse 18, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. So again, you look at a prophecy, and this is just one, Eric. I know that you probably have other favorites as well. And we're going to look at another one here today, Isaiah 64. But I don't know about you, Eric. When I read this, it is just like, man, how could you, how could you not believe the, the crucifixion story? It really gives context to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about the Bible and about Scripture is, and we talk about this um, in our pursuit series. Yeah, lesson two is is about the the why the Bible is trustworthy and true. And part of that is 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 scriptural evidence and and uh, uh, prophecy, you know. And so, so the Bible proves the Bible to be true um, because there are prophecies about about what Jesus and, and other things that are going to happen, but about what God specifically is going to do with Jesus. As Brian said, this was written a thousand years before, and we have several other prophecies um, uh, that we'll get to in, in the book of Isaiah that were written, you know, 700 years before. And we're not just saying those years, like making them up. It's, it's that if you know anything about the Bible, it's, it's, uh, it was written over a period of time, and we have all this manuscript evidence, uh, and we can, we can date some manuscripts, and many people have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, Isaiah is one of those scrolls that we can date, date back uh, to, to at least a couple hundred years before Jesus walked on earth, proving that the Bible is accurate, um, and that that Jesus, whom we're going to focus on today, uh, really was someone who came down um, and fulfilled some some prophecies. And then historically, we can back up that Jesus was a man who lived and died. And so that's what that brings us today to to really celebrate. Then, if if Jesus really came down. Um, and was part of this fulfillment of, of God's prophecy to, to redeem man and to restore humanity, um, then that leads us to the greatest part of his work and story, which is Easter, you know, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And so as we talk about him coming down, um, we'll get to the, this Isaiah prophecy. Um, right, Brian, you, you're talking about how prophecies um, are are just so fun and interesting to to think about as we think about Jesus and how it all comes together. Well, uh, there's an Isaiah prophecy that we're going to focus on today, and it's in chapter 64, verses 1 and 2. I want to read those. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. So let's talk about that. How does that, how is this uh, talking about Jesus? Well, there's two things I see here in this passage. You know, number one, it talks about 
it, the, the prophet Isaiah, and again, this is over 700 years before what we're about to read in the Gospel of Mark. So keep that in mind. And this is one of these prophecies that in retrospect, it's to me, it's not as obvious as the Psalm 22 prophecy. That one is so obvious. There's so much of, there's so much of that in the, actually quoted in the Gospel of Mark or in the other Gospels. This one, though, is really powerful as well. But again, maybe a lot of listeners would not even recognize that this is a prophecy about Jesus. There's two things I see here in these verses. Number one, when, when the prophet says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, what, what he's talking about, they're rending the heavens or tearing the heavens, ripping the heavens, unveiling the heavens, right? He's talking about mm. God's revelation of himself. So it's kind of this idea that we want to know you, God. We, we, want, we want you to sort of pull the veil back so that we can really see you for who you are. Okay, so that's Keep that in mind as you're listening to this, and we're going we're gonna to trace this prophecy in the life and ministry of Jesus, both at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. So hang, on, hang in there with us, but I just want to make sure people understand sort of the two parts of this, of the, this prophecy in here in Isaiah 64. Number one, it's speaking of God's revelation of himself. Okay, remember that Israel had hoped that God re- would reveal himself as a conquering king. And that's the second part of it. He says, I want you to, Isaiah say, tear back the, the heavens, tear back the curtains of the heavens so that we can see who you really are. And it's not just Israel who wants to see. It's not just Isaiah who wants to see who God is. He's saying, I want you to make your name known to your enemies, right? I want you to cause the nations to quake before you. So the idea, this Old Testament idea is everyone keeps picking on the people of God and, and, and God keeps rescuing his people over and over and over through the story of the Old Testament. He keeps rescuing his people over and over and over. And Isaiah is saying, we need you to do it again. I need, we need you to rescue us again. We need you to show all of the other pagan nations who you really are. We want you to bring your judgment. Right? That's what the fire represents. As fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. I want you to reveal yourself to these enemies of ours. I want you to show them who you really are. I want you to come down and make the nations quake. And remember, this is what, even in Jesus' day, this is what the people, the, the, the Israelites would have been hoping for in the Messiah, in Jesus. They were, they were looking for, for a Messiah who would come, who would conquer the Romans, who would overthrow the Romans because, you know, by the time of the New Testament, when the New Testament opens up and the people of God, the Israelites had been, you know, they'd been dominated by Babylonians and Persians and Medes. And so, you know, if you look at the history books, I mean, Israel, you know, they were in their heyday in David's day. You know, we just read that Psalm. That was kind of their heyday. And then by the time Jesus comes along, Israelites had pretty much just been thrown around and they've got all these nations ruling them, and they, they weren't their own people. And so the, the hope of Israel was that this, this Messiah figure, kind of like a David-like figure, would come back and would restore the glory of Israel, would restore the nation of Israel to be, to be able to rule themselves. And so here, here in Jesus' day, the Romans are ruling the Israelites, and, and relatively speaking, that was a better, they were better rulers than some of the other rulers in the Old Testament, but still, the Israelites wanted the Messiah to deliver them. So, so I would imagine, Eric, that if, if, a, if even one of Jesus' disciples would have been reading these, 
these words from Isaiah 64, what they would be reading in this is, maybe this is Jesus. You know, maybe Jesus is going to come and is going to really like reveal his ministry, reveal that that it's finally here, that judgment's going to come on the nations, the Romans are going to be destroyed, and Israel is going to be set up once again. And, but that's not what happens, right? I mean, spoiler alert, Jesus ends up hanging on the cross at the hands of the Romans. Mm-hmm. And so their whole picture, or at least part of the picture of this, part of the picture of who God was and who Jesus was going to be and and how God was going to rescue people you know, part of that picture just fell short in the minds of so many of the Israelites. And it, it really makes us think about today, as people who are listening, you know, you, you're probably not Jewish, but I think we can all relate to this and say, what, do, what, do you, what were you hoping for from God? How do you see God? And, and maybe what are you expecting from God? Because a lot of people, Eric, come to church on Easter, on Christmas, but that's about it. And so these, these are the kinds of people that we even want to appeal to today is we want, we want to challenge your view of God because I think that's what today's message is going to do. Yeah, and I, you know, just as a, a practical application to go back to um, how the Jewish people and the nation of Israel experienced God, it was, it was different than through the times of the you know, David and in the times of Isaiah, when when God first came to the nation of Israel, he was doing miracles before them. He was he was revealing himself to them through power, through delivering them from from slavery in Egypt and leading them through the desert with a a pillar of a, a cloud by day and a or a and fire by night and and they could v- you know, literally see God come down on a mountain to talk to Moses to get the Ten Commandments. And then that was when they started establishing the, you know, the tabernacle, which later turned into the, the, the permanent temple. But they, they had this vision of God doing all these mighty works and, and getting them finally into the, the promised land of Israel. And so it wasn't just mundane religious practices. It was experiencing God, but then when they finally settle in Israel um, and they decide to have, you know, a leader over them and, and do things a little bit different, you know, I think that the Israelites experience God in, in a different way, maybe even a, in, a, in a less powerful way. And I think that relates to people now, um, you know, they've grown up with religion. They've grown up uh, knowing about the greatest story ever told, uh, the Bible. A lot of people have. If you're American, you've heard the name Jesus, and you've probably heard some of the stories from the Bible. Um, but maybe you've never really experienced his power. Maybe you've never really um, seen him do any any miracles in your life or in your family member's life, you've had sick family members, you've had, you see all the pain and the suffering and the evil going on in the world. And maybe that's the cry of, of so many of us. And, and, and you don't even know it. It's just like, God, if you're real, would you rend the heavens and come down and do something? If, if, if you are real, Lord, is, is this, is this all there is, is coming to church on Sunday and, 
and you know, following the commandments that I see my neighbors and my friends and my coworkers doing? Or is there something more to you, God? And and I think that that's where a lot of people are in our society, in our culture, is that they've seen the religiosity of of so many people, um, and it talks about God, but yet lacks the power and and the witness of who God is, and that's was was God's whole point of sending Jesus 2000 years ago was to reveal to them who God really is you know and and so that brings us to where we started right we started in in the book of Mark which is which is uh, a a gospel an eyewitness account of Jesus life death and resurrection his his ministry Jesus ministry um and and we get we've been over the past you know several months getting to see what what Mark has to say about Jesus, who he is and and what he's come to do. And we really believe uh, you know what we're talking about today is that part of this prophecy of isaiah sixty sixty four of you know the rending the heavens is the one way in which God did that already was to send his son from heaven down to the world to start something new, to show the, the, the real face and the real power of God, not just religiosity anymore like the Jews were stuck in. Yeah, because they're really, you know, when you think about God's revelation, that, that's what rending the heavens means, is reveal yourself. And I know a lot of probably seekers have prayed this prayer before. You've said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. That's essentially what we're talking about here. If you're real, mm-hmm. show yourself to me. I want to know that you're real. And, and many people say that and then they they don't you know god doesn't appear to them or something and so then they just live their life and and kind of disregard the bible or disregard jesus or christianity but essentially that's the that's what we're talking about today is god if you're real show yourself to me and there's three levels of god's revelation one is called general revelation where god reveals himself just in the mountains and the in the ocean and the beauty of creation and and everyone gets to see general revelation. The second one is what we call special revelation, and, and, and that's where the Bible would be classified. The Bible is special revelation. You can't, you can't learn about Jesus by looking at the mountains. You need special revelation, which is given to us through the Holy Spirit. He, he inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, and so the Bible is God's special revelation. But here's the coolest thing is it doesn't stop there because there's another kind of revelation that goes even that's even more powerful and more specific than God's special revelation in, in his word, and it's what we call God's self-revelation. And that is, that is what God is doing in the person and work of Jesus, is he is revealing him. It's the ultimate revelation. The ultimate revelation of God is given in Jesus himself. And we see that in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. It says, just as Jesus, this is at the baptism of Jesus, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Now listen to this with Isaiah 64 in mind. It says, he saw heaven being torn open. So there it is. Remember Isaiah 64 says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens, God, and reveal yourself. And here this is happening at the start of Jesus' ministry as heaven is being torn open and the spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice comes from heaven. The father says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And so this right here, 
The baptism of Jesus is the beginning of the Isaiah 64 prophecy. Jesus is starting his earthly ministry, and God begins to reveal himself ultimately, and he does it not just in the mountains, not just in the beauty of the ocean. He does it not just in his scripture that he's given to us. He does it personally in the self-revelation of Jesus because Jesus is God, and he is the ultimate revelation of God himself. Yeah, and this is a an example or a, a marking out in the book of Mark. He's he's marking out who Jesus is um, by tearing open the heavens. That's what Mark is saying, and he he may he may you know we believe the Bible is written not just through men but through through the Holy Spirit carrying men along, and so. By the Holy Spirit, Mark is writing this down, uh, ultimately connecting the dots. The Spirit is trying to help us see that that God is is saying something here important. That when when Jesus came and started His ministry, that represented a rending of the heavens, and and we see the Father, right? The Father. Uh, tears open the heavens and sends down the spirit and and the spirit rests on Jesus and now we could we could say a lot about you know the trinity is here god is three in one um and and there's a lot to talk about with god's nature and god's attributes and i i pray and hope that people will stick around and and come back to hear more about god's attributes uh this is just one of many verses but there's there's even there's more than that to it. Also, there's also the spirit descending on him like a dove. You know that fulfills a a prophecy in Isaiah, another prophecy in Isaiah, where where Jesus himself reads a scroll and and in, in the temple, and he says, "This prophecy has been fulfilled." It says, um, "The spirit of the Lord is upon him, mm-hmm. um, uh, anointed him, right, and to to." Pr- proclaim good news and to the captives and to you know give sight to the blind and and it's a prophecy of Isaiah again Jesus in his earthly ministry is being marked out by God through the Holy Spirit in this one act um, that Mark writes down for us a tearing of the heavens it's it's a revelation of okay God's doing something here new he's he's fulfilling what people have been waiting for all along that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and even even later writers in the New Testament understood what was going on here. I mean, Paul Paul says that Jesus is the invisible image of, or, or the visible image of the invisible God. And so, as you talked about earlier, Brian, like God revealing Himself, this this revelation, God is revealing Himself in the person of Jesus Christ come down earth. God, um, the Son, who is also man, is being re- and the, revealed. And then even Hebrews 1 talks about that he, was, he, he uh, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. This is Jesus, and Mark starts his, even in verse 1, if we go back to chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It starts out revealing who is this Jesus. And then we get to this verse 11 where God marks him out specifically fulfilling so many different prophecies. It's just amazing. 
Yeah, and I wonder if there was there were might might have been a few Jewish zealots there that day at the baptism of Jesus who witnessed this and realized maybe even realized this prophecy that oh this is it this is him and he's a he's about ready to God is about ready to reveal his plan. He's about ready to to bring a fire, right? He's about ready to make the nations quake to go back to that Isaiah 64 prophecy. But then if, you know, for those who have been listening these last few months as we've been studying Mark together, that's actually not what Jesus does. I mean, think about some of the things we've seen. He doesn't bring fire. He brings love. He doesn't bring judgment. He brings healing. He brings forgiveness. You know, the, the, the leper who came to him. And the leper said, I know that you're able to heal me. He said, if you're willing, you can do it. So, so the leper, we saw the leper understood part of God. They, he, he, he understood the greatness of God. He understood the power of God, but he didn't understand the heart of God. He didn't know what God's heart was. And so Jesus reveals the heart of God by saying, I am willing. And he touched the leper, which was shocking, and he heals the leper. And so we see, again, we see this revelation of God in that story of the healing of the leper that, that he cares about people. Or, or that the healing of the paralytic, that, you know, the, these four friends bring the paralytic, they bring him before Jesus, they, you know, the, the, the house is crowded and they have to lower him in front of Jesus. And instead of rebuking these guys for interrupting his sermon, Jesus looks at the guy and he forgives his sins, which, which blew everybody away. And the, the religious leaders who were there were like, who does this guy think he is? Right? Again, it's, it's part of God's revelation of himself. He Jesus is revealing who God is. He's re, he's re, the heavens are being, the curtains are being opened up just a little bit wider with each story in the Gospel of Mark, and we see just a little bit more that that this isn't just that Jesus isn't just a, a miracle worker. Which, by the way, he does end up healing the guy. So, but before he heals the guy of his physical sin or his physical problem, he heals him of his deeper problem, his spiritual problem, and he forgives his sin. Again, what is he doing? He's revealing God just a little bit more. He's pulling back the curtain just a little bit more on who God really is. Or then we looked at how he invites, Jesus invited fishermen and tax collectors to follow him. What is that? Again, it's it's showing us the heart of God a little bit more. He doesn't invite the the perfect people. He doesn't invite the the religious elite. He doesn't invite the cream of the crop of society. Again, we, we see in, in the work of Jesus, we see the heart of God for regular people. And I know a lot of people listening today feel like regular people. You might even feel unworthy of God. You might even feel like God wouldn't be interested in you. Well, I think you have the wrong picture of God because, because Jesus invited fishermen and tax collectors. He invited the scum of the earth. You know, He invited the people who were rejected by society to follow him. And these are the ones who changed the world. And, and we saw that Jesus challenges the religion police, you know, these people who thought they had it all together. And he said, I haven't come, I haven't come to call those who think they're righteous. I've come to call those who know they're sinners. And so all along we see Jesus, even, and we're, we've only covered the first three chapters of Mark so far, by the way, on this podcast. We're going to continue to see the heart of God revealed more and more as we continue in the weeks ahead, weeks ahead. But we see that Jesus is preaching, like you said, Verse, verse one of chapter one, the good news, that Jesus is bringing good news. Mm-hmm. He's not bringing judgment. He's not bringing fire. 
He's bringing good news. And so, so the, you know, the first part of this prophecy about rending the heavens and we see who God really is and we see the, the love of God. Now, we'll talk about the judgment of God in a second. But the main thing that Jesus is bringing to the shock and awe of everybody is he's bringing love and forgiveness and healing to everyone. I was thinking about, you know, the disciples, and as we went through the list of disciples, you know, you had the sons of thunder in there, the, the young guys that were brothers that, mm. that Jesus called, and they were likely called the sons of thunder because as they were following Jesus around, uh, they asked, should we call down fire from heaven on this town? Because, you know, they've, these people have basically rejected you. And, and maybe, you know, just maybe in their minds, they were thinking of this prophecy knowing, knowing that, okay, if this is the Messiah. Right. We should, we should, we should have them call down fire because that's part of the prophecy. But, but the reality is, is, is that, you know, this isn't the only time Jesus is is coming or is was supposed to come uh there's something that like you alluded to brian there's the second coming of christ that we're all awaiting for but this time this time was to reveal god's love and mercy and his his true uh desire for humanity that that men and women boys and girls would come to a saving knowledge and faith of of who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. He was such a, an amazing example for for all human beings to follow after um, in love and and forgiveness and grace. And so, so, so Jesus really represents the heart of God and and who God really is. It doesn't mean that God isn't. Um, doesn't have wrath and isn't going to, um, you know, have a, a judgment day one day because he will. But first, we see God's his love and, and his patience with humanity, and and that's why the Son comes down. God the Son, Jesus Christ, comes down to come and save us, to to turn us back from our wild living and our sin, and to call us to to repent for. You know the kingdom of God is at hand and it's coming and and I just by me being here is is a warning sign to to remind you guys hey you you guys have gone astray you've gone your own way and in fact that's you know the definition that we use for sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions rather than trusting and acting on God's truth and so all people have sinned the Bible tells us but but Jesus has come to be the sacrifice, the, the one who's come to forgive our sins, and that's what Mark has been leading to, which then leads to, then, then why, did, why did Jesus have to die? Why, why did he go to the cross, you know, leading to Easter weekend? Um, the, the crucifixion uh, story is what we're going we're gonna to end with today. And that's where it gets interesting. Right. That, to me, that's where this prophecy really comes into clearer focus. Okay, so let's skip to that part. So Jesus is convicted at a sham Jewish trial, right? He's beaten by Roman soldiers. He's nailed to a cross. So I, wanna, I want you to pay attention, listeners. I want you to pay attention to what happens the moment after Jesus dies on the cross. Okay, Mark chapter 15, we finally made it there. Mark chapter 15, verses 37 and 38, it says this. 
Then Jesus, he's on the cross, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. Okay, so Jesus has just died. And look at what it says next, verse 38. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this right here is the climax of the Isaiah 64 prophecy. Remember that prophecy, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And look at what happens when Jesus dies. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. So literally, there's a rending of the of this curtain of this temple curtain. Now, to under really understand this, and by the way, Matthew 20, the Matthew account of this, Matthew 27, 51, it says the same thing. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Okay, so we see now the the I mean, again, just it's so clear that these gospel writers, Eric, had Isaiah 64 in mind, even as they're writing this. I think they understood this because because the Holy Spirit wrote the whole Bible. So it shouldn't shock us that this Mm -hmm. prophecy would be fulfilled so clearly at this moment on the cross. But I think in order to really understand this, you have to understand the, the, the temple curtain. And it's, we find that in Exodus 26, verse 31. Listen to this. It says, and this was way back in the, you know, in the time of Moses when they're, when they're uh, on their way out of slavery in Egypt toward the promised land, God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the temple. He gives them really the, it's the tabernacle first before it becomes a temple because they're still on the move. But it says, it says this, for inside the tabernacle make a, sur- a special curtain of finely woven linen Decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Hang this curtain on golden hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood. Overlay the posts with gold. Set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. So just a really quick lesson on the temple. This is what's happening here, is that the, the temple represented the presence of God God's presence was was in the what's called the most holy place, the holy of holies, the the innermost room in the temple, and only once a year could somebody go beyond the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. So a lot of the priests could hang out in the holy place, but only the high priest could go into the most holy place, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. We can read about all this in Leviticus 16. I know we're getting into a lot of detail here. We're going to spare the most of the detail, but it's important to understand what all of this represents. Basically, the, the curtain, the temple curtain, represents this separation from God, that regular people couldn't go into the most holy place and have a relationship with God. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. God was too holy. He was too separate. He was too scary. There was too much judgment that, that, that there were all these rules and regulations and you couldn't, basically this was, this was communicating that you, the average person, the ordinary person, the fisherman, the tax collector couldn't access God. Only the priest, only one, only the high priest could access God. And so, so hear this listeners, I want you to understand the power of this. Remember Isaiah said, oh, that you would rend the heavens and make yourself known and here, this is finally happening on the cross, that the curtain, that curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. It, so really, it's even that detail is significant, Eric, because it shows us that God's the one tearing it, right? It's from 
top to bottom. Man didn't do this. It wasn't a priest mm-hmm. who did it. God did it from top to bottom so that what? So that we could have access to God himself. And that's really what the crucifixion is all about. Hebrews 10, why don't you read that? Hebrews 10 gives us just the perfect summary of what's going on here at the cross. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22. Yeah, and it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled by Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so, you know, what this scripture is saying is that Jesus' death on the cross represents um, the the access to God being changed forever. If we think about the, again, going back to the prophecy of, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would, you would take away the separation between us and you. Um, that's what sin does, by the way. Sin separates us from God all the way, you know, going all the way back to the, the beginning, you know, when man and woman, Adam and Eve first sinned and caused sin to enter the world, it caused a a great chasm between us and God, and and now we're blocked from heaven. And and what does Jesus do? do? He 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 dies on the cross to to take away that access to whatever little bit of heaven that they had on earth, which was in the temple at the moment. God's pre- presence was in the most holy place, and what this was representing is that through the death of Jesus. Now, trying to access God through religious activity and duty was not the way to get to heaven anymore. It was through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by his blood being spilled. And I just want to say one more thing about this Hebrews 10 verse that we just read. In another translation in the ESV, it says, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Um, the, tra- the, the, the author of Hebrews is, is saying that that curtain being torn w- was, is represented in Jesus's flesh being torn and his flesh was broken and torn and his blood was mm. spilt. And so Jesus was the literal curtain that had to be torn in order for human beings to be able to come into and have access with God now. Yeah, and this is where that judgment part of that prophecy comes in. Because remember, there were two parts of that Isaiah prophecy. Number one was rending the heavens and revealing yourself, but number two is bring judgment to the nations. And here's the crazy thing, and this is the message of the cross, is God's judgment did come down, but it came down on Jesus. I mean, this is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing the full weight and judgment that, that was appropriate because of our sin. Our sin's a big deal, and God didn't just cancel his wrath. God spent his wrath on his son. And the beauty, and nobody saw this coming. 
in Isaiah 64. Nobody really fully understood. And in retrospect, we can understand this is the beauty of it is, is the judgment, the love of God, the love that is revealed in the person of Jesus, the love of God meets the judgment of God at the cross. And so God spends his wrath on his son, Jesus, so that anyone who would believe in him would not have to endure that wrath, would not have to experience the judgment, but instead could experience the forgiveness and the love of God, which is the good news that Jesus came to bring. And so we see this ultimate revelation here at the end of the day, not just in the cross, Eric, I think it's important for us to make sure on Easter here to finish with the resurrection, Mm -hmm. because all of this, this beautiful prophecy that's fulfilled, the rending of the heavens at, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry at his baptism, and then here at the end as he breathes his last and, the, and the, his body is torn and the temple curtain is torn, and now we have full access to God. The only reason that any of that is true is because Jesus didn't stay dead. If we only had the crucifixion, we wouldn't be talking about this. It's, it's because Jesus rose from the dead and he beat death at its own game. He defeated sin and hell and the grave and death itself by overcoming that and raising from the dead, and this was his plan all along. And it's because of the resurrection that we can have hope to access the forgiveness of God and to really have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And all of this is because of what we celebrate today on Easter. As we, you know, look at the end part of the book of Mark, uh, you know, we see, you know, fast forward again from the cross where, where, where the, the curtain is split. Um, they take him down and burying, bury him, and then he rose from the dead. They went to go find him, and, and what they found was an angel and it's and the angel says don't be alarmed you are looking looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified he isn't here he is risen from the dead look this is where his body was you know and so so the beautiful part of the story is is, is that sin didn't win death didn't win and uh, but God did and and God did it through revealing his son you know at the end of that crucifixion a man who was standing there, a soldier said, truly this was the Son of God. He got yeah. it. And I guess for for the people that are here today, um, that are guests with us or, or hearing for the first time, I would ask the question, what are you going to do with the Son of God? What are you going to do with this Jesus, the one whom God used to fulfill prophecy and ultimately used to come down and be the sacrifice for your yours and my sin. Will you recognize the Jesus that Mark was trying to tell us about, the Jesus whom so many of us um, have trusted in so that we could have forgiveness of sins? That's the biggest question I would leave everybody with um, as, we, as we think about Easter, is what will you do with the Son of God? Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up, verse 39 in Mark 15, because I do think that's the ultimate um, sort of exclamation point on the Isaiah 64 prophecy. Because remember that the prophecy was spoken from sort of a nationalistic point of view, like, oh God, I wish you would rend the heavens, reveal yourself, and show the other nations, show the other nations, not the Israelites, show the other nations, show our enemies who you really are, bring judgment, bring fire to our enemies. And isn't it crazy 
that after that that curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into, the very next line says that the Roman soldier who was killing Jesus professed faith in Jesus. He said, this really is the Son of God. So everything that was happening there wasn't just for Israelites. It wasn't just for the Jewish people's access to God. It was for the nation's access to God, which is what we see revealed in the rest of the New Testament as we read that that this, this death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't some nationalistic thing. It wasn't about restoring Israel to its place of prominence. It was about establishing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is open to everyone. It's not just a Jewish thing anymore. And that's really what, what is being revealed in the work, in the ministry of Jesus. And that, man, that's such a powerful thing. And to go back, Eric, just as you were reading Mark 16, you know, the angel talking to the, the, the women who entered the tomb and realized that Jesus was risen. It's so interesting that verse 7 says this, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of mm. you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as, as he told you before he died. I, I think it's so interesting in, in this resurrection story that Peter gets singled out. And the reason that Peter gets singled out is because Peter was sort of the focus of the story. Like Peter was the guy, the follower of Jesus, who denied him three times at the trial. Peter was the one who probably had, more than anyone else, who probably was carrying this guilt and shame. And and think about what Hebrews 10 told us that we read, that our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Because I know there are some people listening here today, especially if you're a person who typically only tunes in on Christmas and Easter, and there are a lot of people in, in American culture who are like that. Look, I want you to hear this, that, that you do not have to be hounded by your guilty conscience anymore, that the blood of Jesus is, is what makes you clean. The blood of Jesus can set you free from that guilty conscience, that there's no sin there's no thing that you've done that is that is outside of, of the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus. That's how strong his blood is. And so if you're listening today, and maybe today you, just the, the veil has been pulled back on who God really is. Maybe you saw him as just judgmental and mean and, and unapproachable, but maybe today you realize that, that, that God is love and that he wants to forgive you and he wants to, he wants to set you free. He wants to release that guilt and that shame, just like he did for Peter. He can do that for you as well. And I invite you to come to this Jesus, to see in the Easter story, not just in the Easter story, but in every story that we have in the Gospels. I want you to see that this is who God really is. This is the ultimate, the ultimate revelation of God, that he did rend the heavens, and he revealed himself, and he's a good God, and he's a saving God. And you can find that God um, today. And so I encourage you to, if you haven't done it yet, to check out our resources. One of the best ways to encounter this God is to go through our pursuit series with someone, maybe with a Christian friend or a small group or, um, or even just with a spouse or someone in your family that knows Jesus. Check it out at pursuegod.org forward slash go. And make sure to check out lesson five and lesson six where we talk about who Jesus is and how to respond to Jesus in faith. That's what the whole Easter story is about. 
So find more on this and so much more about biblical Christianity and the God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. Find it all at PursueGod.org and continue to listen to this podcast because we're going to continue on here in the weeks ahead. We're going to continue to study the gospel of Mark together and continue to see how God reveals himself in Jesus Christ.